We are live. I'm Seb 3.0, and today I'm speaking with Josh Lee, aka Dogemos, co-founder of Kepler and Ethereum. And we're going to be talking about uh, Ethereum osmosis, <laughs> and we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff today. We're going to be uh, discussing you know, user experience, how we get more people to come into Cosmos. Also, kind of getting a state of the Cosmos ecosystem right now, like where we're at and like what's what are people building. And I'm also dying to find out why he thinks GoGo Diego is the most underrated YouTuber in the cosmos. Before I get started, though, make sure to subscribe, hit the like button and the notification bell to get notified when I do live streams every week. My guest, Dogemos, is coming up next right here on The Interop. Yeah, so tell me about that time you co-founded Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? A long time ago. Um, yeah. Oh, I mean, there's sometimes... like nine different co-founders that I don't even uh, know about Ethereum. Sometimes my bri- my brain just like crosses wires and I, I like I don't like I don't even yeah. understand why. But yeah, anyway, how you doing? Doing well. How about you? Good, good. Um to be happy to be uh, back home after like what seems like two months of just nonstop traveling um yeah but uh yeah it's been a, it's been a cool couple of last weeks you know we've been uh i mean like obviously there was like cosmoverse and then went to lisbon for a staking summit and then like went to dubai to try to raise funds and um and uh yeah things are like accelerating and moving pr- pretty quickly so but at the same time you know the the, the ecosystem seems to be like or like the whole industry t- seems to be taking a shit on itself so uh you know we'll see how things play out over the next couple of months actually just just before you know getting started here i was watching this ftx uh sam bankman free thing on like the whatever this wall street journal conference they had and oh yeah i saw that oh man that guy yeah it's it's i don't know it's it's almost like it's it's so cringy just how uh, like just the media is still like still capturing this person you know and, and like I don't know. Well, and that's the crazy part is like, I, I saw that as well, where like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, he was joking. It's like, oh, obviously I've had a very rough month and everyone laughs about it. Right. And it's like, um, you know, I, and it's like, you know, Sam Beckman Freed is one thing, but also makes you just wonder, it's like how many of these like very unethical, you know, scammers essentially existed in like the traditional finance world that basically never got discovered because of how they, you know, were so close with the, traditional media because i feel like sam is like the first case we see a crypto person that's like so close to mainstream media yeah. so there you kind of get two stories right you get the twitter version of like a raw unfiltered like on-chain version of things that are going on and then you get to see like how drastically different like the mainstream media coverage is but like in a lot of the older financial world you only get to see this like mainstream media coverage of all this sh- you know things that blew up so yeah yeah it makes you kind of think like oh my god how much things have happened that I like, you know, people aren't even aware about. So, yeah. 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 It kind of makes you, kind of makes you think for a while about like the, you know, the, the power structures and uh, how, 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 uh, I mean, really like what will end up happening to them, I think will be very dependent on um, 
the desires of of certain power structures uh, and and uh, and also like the influence that he might have or i mean certainly he doesn't have as much influence anymore because he doesn't have any money uh but uh yeah maybe i mean there's maybe maybe there's maybe there's, maybe, sir, maybe there's some some uh, some some corpses and some closets that uh mm -hmm. That, that that are keeping him safe um yeah so tell me about this gogo diego guy because uh i i i didn't know about him and then you mentioned his youtube channel you said he was pretty underrated and i, I know he's yeah here, so i just uh, um yeah I, I saw this comment here it just reminded me of you know i i mean i just ran into him on twitter and i just so i actually before i got into crypto while i was in college i, I majored in video production so like i really enjoyed like shooting videos and stuff um oh, yeah things like that and you know i know how much work goes into just making some of these videos and things like that and i saw his stuff and i was like holy shit like he's just putting a ton of effort into like you know making this work and try to explain things and i'm like it's also hilarious right so it's like uh i don't know i, I feel like cosmos is all about like the underdog story where like you kind of start from this like random community dude and then you just build your way up into like providing people value and building products for people where you kind of end up having more influence or having more say in, you know, the direction of uh, the, the community or, or the product and things like that. And because, you know, for me, I was, I started off as just like random dude in the community and now I'm just like building one of the wallets and, you know, all the AMMs. And it's like, I, I don't know. I just saw Diego and I was like, Oh my God, this guy just has that like vibe where like, I feel like <laughs> it's going to get somewhere. And I can't believe how, underrated like i don't know like most cosmos people don't know him so um i just hope he gets yeah. more coverage well i, I just subscribed to his channel so i guess we'll see nice. uh yeah. we'll watch i'll watch some of it and let you know what i think of it but um yeah thanks for joining the live stream um yeah, yeah so a couple of things here i mean like this uh, like i was saying before this is probably like the least prep i've ever done for an interview because yeah, just I feel like we could just have a conversation here, and there's like a bunch of things that we can touch on. And, um, but yeah, maybe off the top, like, what is your sense of where the ecosystem is right now? Like, if you kind of take a snapshot of you know, the Cosmos Interchain ecosystem, how, 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 what, what's like your sentiment around like, um, you know, uh, maybe like people's enthusiasm about where the space is heading? I mean, we just kind of came out of a very complicated Adam 2.0 governance proposal that is like still very much ongoing. Um, there is this like FDX thing that is like dumping on the entire ecosystem, not just Cosmos, but like the whole industry. Uh, you know, like six months ago, seven months ago, we had like Luna. Um, it was like all this really kind of, not so positive stuff that's either happening, you know, within Cosmos, sort of adjacent to Cosmos, or as a, you know, broader industry phenomenon. Uh, bullish or bearish? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would say that like 2022, obviously, I don't know. Every year, I, I say it's like, oh, this has been the craziest Cosmos year so far. Um, I think this year more so than the others, uh, in the context of the entire like industry as well but um yeah i mean I, i'm obviously very bullish on like the interchain and this like app chain thesis uh that being said i think cosmos has sort of existed traditionally in a very you know homogenous culture uh very similar minded people who tend to be not the mainstream uh 
Whereas I think this idea of like blockchain interoperability and app chains and a lot of the kind of things that Cosmos in its early days pushed for is actually kind of a mainstream idea now, right? It's, I think this is the first time that has happened, you know, in the if since 2017, which is when I first got into Cosmos. And, you know, I have to say, it's like, I'm in, in, in some ways, I'm like really excited that this idea has caught on to the rest of uh, crypto. That being said, it's like, I don't know, there's always that like hipster thing where like, hey, it's like, you know, if everyone knows about the cool thing, then like, is it cool anymore? So, I mean, there's that like a little bit of, you know, the hipster in me where I'm like, oh man, like the good old days when only the people that knew that like IBC was cool, you know, and you could kind of talk hours with them. Whereas like today, it's a completely different landscape and you actually have a heterogeneous, you know, community of stakeholders and who think different things, which is, you know, a great direction, but it's definitely a different vibe than where things were about, you know, a year or two ago, I would say. You're muted, by the way, so. Yeah, let's go back to entertain conversations, right? Like summer-ish 2019. Um, the ecosystem was super small. It was basically like the Tendermint team and all the teams that had kind of spun out of that and like a few other random people that had latched onto this idea and like you know, a couple of podcasters. Um, but, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a very small ecosystem that had kind of grew, grown organically from, you know, this, this core group of people coming from Berkeley uh, from like the Berkeley blockchain and Berkeley crew. And then there's like the Berlin crew. And then, you know, some folks in Canada, uh, in Toronto. Now, you know, now there's there's like other people that are just people that just kind of show up uh, and start using the tech. And there's tons of teams that have done that. Um, and there's also they're the like the Luna, Terra Luna uh, ecosystem of builders that has started to you know, come into the ecosystem and start building um I mean, I guess they, they were already building in the interchain, but now uh, now they're building products that are, say, closer to products that we typically think of more as, you know, as like, you know, pure kind of Cosmos things. Um, what do you think the effects of that is in terms of the culture and where, like, how how is the culture shifting in your view? Um, To say it, in a good way, I would say it's become more pragmatic. To say it in a bad way, I would say in some ways I feel like Cosmos sort of... I, 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 I would say the interchain before, it was just like such a group of like-minded people that everyone sort of had this soul. Whereas like today, it just feels like just any other tech and kind of this like commoditized... It's, mm. it's, it's good. Um, it's good technology. But like, I want to see the soul and like that like grit uh, back. Yeah, uh, and kind of miss that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is. I think part of growing up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, if if this if this open source technology is meant for for anyone to use and to build on and like to bring their own ideas and experiences and and um, and and then also that brings users. You know, credible neutrality also has uh, uh, has this property that 
means that anybody can use it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that means that, you know, you're, you need to detach. I think, I think, you know, one needs to detach themselves from the tech. And you, you were talking earlier about how, you, know, you or before we were talking here on the show, you said that um, you felt that the Terra collapsed. Um, as a result of that, there are some well-meaning people that have come in to, you know, or, or, or are still building in the ecosystem. And there are some like less well-meaning people. And, uh, and like you look back at the days where it was just like a bunch of friends that, um, you know, were like-minded. Well, uh, you know, you can still have that. It's just like you need to detach yourself from the technology, you know, just like you're building things like products that are, uh, you know, with, with like-minded people, you're using like a piece of technology that doesn't mean that, you know, one needs to associate or even endorse what like other people are doing with this technology. The technology is like neutral. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, it's like with the whole Luna thing, I mean, in late 2021 and, you know, most of early this year, uh, as one of the co-founders of Kepler, I got a lot of shit for like, you know, why does Kepler not support Terra natively? And, you know, some of that was like obviously some like business decisions and technical, but I would say, you know, some of that was just like, I just felt like I didn't like Terra as a project very much. And. And for me, it's always just been like, hey, I, I build stuff because I enjoy and I believe uh, this thesis. And for me, Terra was not something I could get behind uh, very much. And I tried, you know, as much as I can. I obviously couldn't just one person. So, um, yeah, that being said, you know, it's like, do I regret that decision? It's like, absolutely not. Uh, you know, if Terra was that much more accessible, then, you know, maybe there could have been way more money lost then we thought and you know just to be you know just to be clear i'm based in korea and i have friends and you know people that i know around me who worked at tfo you know formerly and i know what that like work environment was like and that you know there it wasn't just like the public you know how how publicly tara was being shown it's a lot of the behind the scenes that i was aware of and um, yeah in some ways i just like i i regret that i couldn't speak out just because i felt like and so, hey, you know, Terra is part of this Cosmos community. And mm. uh, after its collapse, I actually, you know, felt more compelled to just, you know, say kind of the unpopular opinions. And, and, and that's why I think I actually really enjoy kind of Sunny's idea of meshes, right? Where you can mm. have like the interchain ecosystem, but you can still have different meshes. And not just in the culture, but in a lot of the products. Uh, and, you know, in terms of how security is kind of aligned with like-minded projects that work well each other, uh, I think people, and, and, that, and, and I think one of the big realization was um, the Atom 1 and like Atom 2.0 discussion was extremely heated. But to be honest, as someone who's been around in Cosmos, like drama is obviously a very familiar territory. Uh, that being yeah. said, you know, it's like it's like all of us sort of knew that like Cosmos wasn't, you know, a very quiet, peaceful community ever. And you sort of got used to it. But, you know, I felt like the discussion just felt really different this time around uh, compared to kind of the previous dramas where people were still trying to find like constructive outcomes. So I, I don't know what has changed. Uh, it's just that's what, you know, growing pains is like. You get a bigger community and you get a lot of vocal people here and there. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm here to do exactly what I did, you know, one year ago, two years ago, three years ago, and, and 
that's just to build better products that users can use uh, in the context of Cosmos and the interchain. So yeah, for me, mm. nothing has changed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been the overwhelming sentiment. Uh, you know, uh, um, like I said, I, I was just in Dubai and I was talking to folks there, and they were like, "Oh, like Terra or uh, FTX is uh, is really uh, you know creating bad vibes for the for the ecosystem, and you know this is the death of crypto." And I said, like, honestly, you know, most of the people that you know I interact with were basically just like building and then like they were like oh like oh, oh yeah this ftx thing all right, all right and then it just like went back to building <laughs> and well so, and then you know there's this whole host of people who are basically you know people there were projects who were simping these potentially you know what turned out to be bad actors back then and then completely flipped 180 once that collapsed right and i remember yeah so, yeah i <laughs> i remember that yeah Speaking of culture, and uh, people people want wanted me to ask you this: What do you think is this the cultural significance of bad kids in the yeah. ecosystem? So here's why I love bad kids so much. Uh, it basically has all the for me. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I've never met. I've never talked to the founder uh, personally. Uh, never met him. I didn't get any. Money Are they a non? Or no? I, I don't think it's. I don't think he's a non. It's like Cortland on okay. Discord. Um, okay, yeah. And I heard that he's based in New York, so he's not like I. I and I heard people that have met him. Uh, I just have never done it before. But you know, like I said, I feel like the culture of Cosmos is: hey, we're small, but we're very like um, strongly opinionated. And you know, there's this hustler culture. You just kind of like start from the bottom and you make your way up and. I feel like Bad Kids was, first of all, original. I was just hunting for um, Stargaze NFTs to mint on a weekend. And I think there were like eight or ten different ones. And I just knew that. Like when I saw it, I was like, okay, this is a drawing style. First of all, I haven't seen anywhere else uh, in other ecosystems. So bonus points for that. Secondly, I went to the website and... Um, it was like, hey, what's its utility? And then, like, on the website, it says, I have no clue. We just like having bad kids. And I was like, I love that. Like, I love that people are honest. And I think, you know, it's like, yeah. sure, if you want to try finding utilities for NFTs, that's fine. But for me, you know, it's like, I like it because I like it, right? There's so many things in the world that has value where, like, hey, what's, like, the fundamental utility of this painting? It's like, I don't know. I think it looks beautiful. And this other person <laughs> thinks so as well. And, like, just being honest about it, I love that part. Uh, you can tell the creator put a lot of effort into creating different traits um, as well as, you know, being able to contain a lot of different demographics. That being said, you don't want it to be so fragmented within a PFP collection that like, uh, you know, everything else just looks so different, right? Uh, there, you know, in, even in like NFTs, you have this like gradient of fungibility. And I think the reason why PFPs tend to be the like kind of extremely financialized NFTs is because it's like you, you sure have this like gradient of fungibility amongst the collection and yeah. I felt like you know for you to be able to build a community you need to be able to have your own you know rarity or like characteristics or traits but at the same time you sort of fit in this large gradient of hey you're one of this large bad kid and I felt like mm. uh, bad kids sort of had a good balance between the two um and then there's, and then the other 
kind of thing that I saw was extremely cool was there is this like hidden trait. I don't think anyone's been used, you know, make, making use of it, but like there's brain strength and badness, which is like a trait of these NFTs. Now, I think one of the coolest things about NFTs is you can sort of create derivative works based off of, you know, the NFTs itself. So like, hey, what if someone created a game based off of these badness traits or the brains or the strengths of these kids, right? And um, being able to, you know, it's like, I think that shifts what people would want. Like, assuming this game ships, like, maybe people wanted, I don't know, like, brown-haired bad kids more before this came live. But after this goes live, then, um, you know, people want these hidden traits that, like, no one really cared about before. And um, just the fact that there's, like, a lot of room to grow into without making any promises and just, you know, there's this culture of like, hey, we're brutally honest here. We don't really care what you think. We just like these things. And we're not going to promise you we're going to build any games. We're not going to partner with Nike or anything. It's just uh, very organic and just looks nice. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I like it too. I mean, I've got a couple. Um, I mean, I'm not like super, super into it. I, you know, I like... I, I had kind of forgot that I had them for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I forgive you. Yeah. And then when everybody started like a couple of months ago, I guess like everybody started using them as their profile picture. I was like, I'll, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll play this game too. And then, and then I started playing with stable as a fusion and then, <laughs> and then that was it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I want to talk about, let's talk about Kepler a little bit. Um, you guys are just crushing it, I think, in terms of... You know what I, what I really love about Kepler is the mobile experience. I, I think, like, to be honest, I think the I think the, the, des the, the desktop extension, you know, like, could, need some, could use some refining. And yeah. a lot of that has to do with just how... Um, I don't know, like, when you have different accounts and, like, diff and then you also have, like, the different uh, networks and everything... But yeah. I think the mobile version like really crushes it. And one of the things that I just fucking love about the mobile version is it works with Ledger, like yeah. over Bluetooth. And you know, I I once like tweeted I was on a plane and I was like, you know, compounding my staking rewards with my Ledger. And, like I took a picture of it. And, like you know, it was like Kepler on the on the on the phone and like Ledger retweeted it and uh, you know it got like hundreds of tweet of retweets mm -hmm. and because no other wallet does this i mean not that i know yeah. of like i mean like i don't i don't know of any ethereum wallet that really supports ledger really well over bluetooth um mm -hmm. and then the other cool thing about it and you know this ties into another topic that i want to talk about which is i don't really know how to describe it but it's well let's put it like this so you know in kepler there's there's there is like some curated applications, I would say, you know, yeah. uh, that, that you guys link to and that enable users to utilize Kepler applications or Cosmos applications on their phone. Um, in the ETH world, it's a bit different. Like Wallet Connect is broadly kind of adopted yeah. across all the applications. People use whatever wallet they want. I think this is really where we should be heading and, you know, this kind of, you know, come with your own wallet, use in any application world. Um, but, uh, you know, it feels very, feels very like AOL, like, you mm -hmm. know, 
Yeah. You know, you come into this, this, this interface, right? This kind of browser and you're presented with a bunch of applications that are curated or vetted by the app. Um, And it got me thinking is crypto, is crypto kind of wallet first or is it blockchain first? And by that, I mean, what is the, what is the canonical thing that people are interacting with? Are they interacting with a wallet and, or are they interacting with a, with a blockchain? And, and I guess this would become more like this question because right now, like wallets are very much kind of tied to one blockchain, but as interoperability becomes better and, you know, people are less aware of whatever underlying settlement layer they're using it feels like the wallet is kind of the point of entry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the question becomes like, how do you differentiate from other wallets? How do you make money? Um, mm-hmm. You know, do these things just become commoditized like browsers? Uh, and then there's like the whole question of business model. So that's kind of a long-winded way to ask you like, uh, how, how do you, how do you see like the future of the wallet business? And, uh, and uh, yeah. Yeah, um, I think the short answer is, you know, obviously I don't exactly know, but uh, the longer, more interesting answer is I think we'll see a lot of different kinds of wallets. Um, I think, you know, I, 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 so just as a context, I'm personally not a developer. I, you know, happened to make a wallet because I just enjoyed making products that was, I, I just, I wanted to create, a, like, work on a blockchain product that felt as close to the user as possible. And um, you know, the wallet is like the closest you can get to a user, right? And um, yeah, and then, you know, but it, traditionally the wallet experience sucks because everything in crypto is built from the blockchain and down, right? So you have people who are building like the consensus and, you know, the you know, consensus algorithm, the consensus software, the state machine, and then the smart contracts, and then the libraries, and then you have the wallet. So it's like at the end of this crazy funnel, and every step of the way, you have had decisions made for you by someone else who isn't creating a wallet. And I think that's fundamentally why the crypto experience sucks, right? And, you know, you see a lot of Web2 people who are basically always saying it's like, oh, the crypto like wallet experience is terrible. Like, I can't believe crypto is like a $3 billion, I don't know, like trillion dollar industry that still hasn't fixed this. And, you know, as soon as they try to make a wallet, they realize it's like, oh, holy shit, there's like so much legacy standards that you can't just like get rid of in a day because, first of all, you can't just like call the CEO of blockchain and be like, hey, can we get rid of like, the mnemonic seed, like you can't. And you also have applications who are like kind of, you know, autonomously doing different things and adopting different standards, right? So I think, first of all, I think that's one kind of context get, that gets missed out uh, very frequently. Um, and then yeah, secondly, I, think, uh, yeah. I, I think that has a lot to do with standards. And, you know, I always go back to like late 2000s. I, I was a web developer. I did a lot of PHP, MyS, you know, MySQL websites, and also did front end, you know, and like back then you had to build websites that worked for IE6, IE7 and Firefox and like whatever other browser your customer wanted you yep. to, 
wanted you to be compatible with. And because the, largely there was very little compatibility between browsers and, uh, and that over time, you know, evolved through better standards. And now, you know, you can go on any website and it works on mobile and it works on desktop. And like, as a developer, the risk that, you know, your CSS code and HTML code is not going to mm -hmm. display the same in every browser is fairly low. Um, uh, what, what do you think is the, the, the importance of like creating standards in the industry? Because I think the web very quickly, um, after, you know, like even in the nineties, I think like the W3C was already creating standards. I, I, you know, we don't really have such an organization in crypto that, uh, addresses the entire industry. Like, sure, there's mm -hmm. standards being built within the Cosmos ecosystem and there's standards being built within Ethereum and maybe within Solana and whatever, but like there's not cross-ecosystem standards that I'm aware of that are really being led by, um, you know, powerful or strong ecosystem players. Mm -hmm. um, I think there has been very traditionally this desire of you know, the core developers decide on a standard and then the wallet adopt it. I think we're, you know, especially in the context of like application specific chains, um, you know, like fundamentally Kepler can't keep up with custom code of a thousand different blockchains. Like that's just not possible. And that's why I, I subscribe to this more of this like mesh model where, you know, um, I think it's more of a bottom up approach where, you know, it's like, hey, do most of our users think this is a, an important feature that they would need? And sometimes that, you know, because of the realistic, like, resources limitations and things like that, you just have to say, it's like, oh, we can't support this, like, very custom thing that you guys have built in. We choose not to, uh, you know, for various reasons. That being said, you know, assuming a very efficient market, you're going to see other competitors pop up and maybe you see that kind of what seemed to be a non-conventional bespoke not relevant idea take off and you know that wallet will also take off so i think we're going to see kind of this like interface like ecosystem within an ecosystem where you know like in ethereum you just have one wallet that can handle all of the applications i, I just don't think that's possible in the world of an application specific interchain moving forward uh, so one of the easiest ways to solve that is i think first of all the extension or, or the signer, basically. I think people get this like misnomer of like the wallet as like the extension, sort of the mobile wallet. And then there's this like web component to it. And all of it is sort of mixed up, but I, I'm talking specifically about the extension. And I think the extension will have to remain extremely simple. A lot of these applications that are, uh, you know, application logic, like sending, staking, voting, viewing NFT, selling, all of that, I think, should be abstracted away like the future like the extension is where the mode of users are today that's not going to be the case like you know many years down the road and i think that's you know we we, we will see what you know like browsers were kind of the hot things back in the day but today it's like you know like you mentioned like you can sort of access any browsers with you know through you know hey it's like if if a browser doesn't support youtube today like that's you know their own death sentence right but you want this to happen sort of organically, not like a top-down system. And I, I, I would say that like wallets sort of have this um, decision-maker seat in, you know, 
deciding what standard works and doesn't. And I would say many wallets, not just like us or just one specific wallet. Hmm. I'll push back on that. Uh, there is one example of a browser stopping uh, support of a very oh, yeah. used uh, uh, thing that people, a lot of people were using, and that is Flash. And so Safari stopped supporting Flash on mobile, and um, and everybody was doing video with Flash back then. Mm -hmm. and, and then that just pushed the industry towards uh, open standards, which, which I mean, ended up being, like I think, great i mean I'm, great I for used, the ecosystem I but i remember when people gave apple so much shit because they didn't support flash in oh, there like yeah man 3gs yeah. right like yeah 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 so. um i mean I, I i i started building websites with flash you know in the mm -hmm. like late 90s as a teenager you know and so to me like that was a huge blow to you know this this thing that was an entire industry like building flash websites like i mean like i don't the kids today don't know flash, you know but you know people who are maybe like you know like just kind of in their early 20s probably like haven't interacted with flash a whole lot uh, but yeah it was a huge part of the web for a while um yeah i mean I, i'm still trying to like also wrap my head i think around i mean constantly you know this is constantly evolving but yeah, I think I think the signer is is like a core component, right? And like that needs to be somewhat interoperable with anything. And you know, to some extent, like you know, Ledger has kind of figured that out, right? Like uh, they they figured out a way to just have this very abstracted um, signing mechanism that like supports many different curves. And you know, there is some amount of app you know app building that you need to do there, but it's quite lightweight and. You, you can have it be also like on the side, like the, you can build, have um, uh, SDKs for teams to build their own integrations and such. But, uh, but yeah, the business model there is, well, what is the business model over the long term? You know, if you're selling hardware, that's one thing. If you're, um, you know, if you're a piece of software, it's something else. I think there, I think one interesting uh, thing that I think will, you know, where, where there's a business and, where there's really a business to be, you know, kind of uh, explored is the is the MPC model and the threshold signature mm -hmm. model, and you know, being a service provider that provides a trusted um, sort of counterparty threshold, and then that sets up your whole threshold signature setup so that you can have a backup and recovery and this kind of thing. I'm a big fan of Zengo, and I think like they're probably one of the best wallet experiences. Unfortunately, they don't support Cosmos yet, and they don't like. You know, like they're they're not focused on that ecosystem so much. But in terms of the UX around, you know, creating a wallet um, and having a you know high security uh, self custody solution, like you know, I think you could build a business around that. I, I'm I'm curious if you know on that side, you know the the twelve twenty four word uh, mnemonic. Um, What's the, you know, for, for Kepler, like, how are you guys thinking about making it easier for people to onboard and um, get away from this mnemonic um, paradigm? Yeah, so um, this is actually a very, the, the very thing that I sort of have, I've been thinking about for the past, like, six months or so. And, um, you know, not a lot of people think that, like, Kepler is basically, like, ran by the Osmosis team. But like, you know, Kepler actually predates the launch of Osmosis and we sort mm. of have, you know, 
a team that like exclusively works on Kepler. And, you know, I, I happen to be working on both projects, but it's like there is kind of this like level of independence and autonomy. That being said, like moving forward, you know, the way we see the future of like crypto UX going, I think you basically can't separate out the blockchain development from the actual like user software development. And, and what I mean by that is like, you know, like Vitalik and all these Ethereum people are starting to talk about account abstractions uh, on Ethereum. Uh, that being said, like what's the biggest hurdle to getting Sorry, what's, good... Sorry, can like, you just uh, remind us what is account abstraction? Yeah, so it's like, you know, on Ethereum, you sort of have this like very hard line between, hey, do you have an externally owned account or a contract account? So, you know, it's like a you know mnemonic based, pub you know, private key based, like public key address, or you have something like uh, Argent where you have a smart contract yeah. wallet, right? And uh, those two feel very exclusive to each other. And there's kind of a very hard boundaries of what one can do, what the other can't. And I think uh, from what I understand, you're trying to kind of merge some of those, the good things between the, those two things. That being said, when you're building on this like general platform, uh, you know, it's like, Argent pushed the boundaries at the time when it launched. I remember being mind blown because you know yeah. the UX was so good, right? You could set up a lot of these things, but they could only do it within the confines of a smart contract. And I think the worst part about Argent was not the UX, was not the product. It was just fundamentally that it costs so much money to send uh, money or do anything through Argent because you're doing a smart contract call and. Uh, you know, so that's the bad side of things. Now, could Argent that that you know, and uh, that and losing all your Pope NFTs because you sent them to an Argent address and they're not supportive. Yeah, you can claim it. Yeah, <laughs> a lot, a lot of which is what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. that as well. I think actually, you know, I think I got my Uniswap one, but I, I think I lost a lot of other ones. Yeah, I mean, I think technically I there is a way to there is a way to do it, but it just costs a ton of gas, and it's just like yeah. So. Yeah. That being said, like, what is the right way of fixing this? It's like, why can't Argent just be part of the blockchain core dev and help define what an account is for that blockchain? But like, like I mentioned earlier, there's so many legacy and standards. So um, that's why I think, you know, like, I think app chains are so interesting because like, hey, we feel like one of the things that I, I know I talked with Dave on Osmosis a lot was like, how, how can we do account abstractions on Cosmos or, or specifically Osmosis. And, you know, it's like, hey, as long as there is kind of this consensus between a wallet and the blockchain itself, you can actually do, like, anything goes on, like, what an account is, right? So uh, what we thought was, like, we already have Taurus uh, yeah. that, like, you can create, you know, crypto wallets just by logging into your Google account. And I think yeah. us, like, using that, like, massive props to the uh, web3 off now uh the Taurus team for bringing that to crypto because like you know anytime i try to help create a wallet for someone new like all of them just use that feature right that being said is that the most you know is that the right way to store crypto i i would say most ogs say that's not the case you should probably have it in a ledger now there's yeah, i mean pretty the hard issue boundaries there is if you lose those. you lose access to your to your email address you also lose access to exactly. your uh, to your funds and yeah i you know i've i've helped onboard people and um you know certainly like have led people down this path of of 
of tourists because like what's the chances you're going to lo lose access to your your gmail account like how often does yeah. that happen you know if you're just yeah. like, and you're sort of kind of inheriting the security features of that google has built around you know you know making sure that some guy that's trying to log it log in from like south africa when you've only logged in from korea like you know yeah. that's why there's that like hey you know what was your first car or like this is yeah. you from your phone like so you're sort of inheriting that but why can't you have both of both worlds right like why can't you start your crypto journey with your gmail account or your twitter account uh let's say and then as you start spending you know more money storing more uh, things you sort of are able to attach more keys to this account so it's no longer that like your account is an address basically mm. a, a public key of your private key that you generated with gmail is sort of like with this key you're creating i don't know dogemos on this blockchain right yeah. you start you know with maybe one of one key of just this taurus account and but you can sort of like later add your extension signer uh, like yeah extension you can sort of attach your mobile key you can attach a ledger and then you can programmatically set like hey for things that will cost less than ten dollars like don't even bother asking me if I want to approve uh, or, you know, for things that are over a thousand dollars, maybe I should, you know, approve it for my phone um, for things more than $10,000. Then yeah, I should probably make, you know, get my ledger out and things like that. <clears throat> but kind of removing this idea that like account is always tied to a private key or a mnemonic. Uh, and basically yeah. just like putting the center of an account as like you, as you, your identity, like your pseudonymous identity on the blockchain. And then, your keys, you sort of have multiple keys that you can control different parts of your account. And, you know, assuming, you know, like we, when, when there's going to be a name service later, like when you log in with, you know, when you create your first crypto account, it would just be like, hey, sign in with Twitter and you basically get a name service. You also get a private key and you're ready to go. And you can also maybe just set like, you know, 10 different people on Twitter that you sort of trust as your recovery key without even their permission because you already, you know, follow them on Twitter or whatever. So it's like, yeah, which is never what have to worry does. Exactly. Yeah, but I've, I've had the, to recover. The argument is you have to know their addresses or their email yeah. names. Right. So it's like, Hey, why yeah. can't that just be Twitter? You know? Yeah. You using some, some existing social graph, I think like certainly is, mm -hmm. is desirable. Um, you know, often I think the issue there that you run into is that the social graph, you you using using Twitter implies that like Twitter has some amount of uh, control or at least can can censor you unintentionally by deleting your account or you know suspending your account. That's certainly happened to me where I've had accounts suspended, um, and sometimes it just happens out of nowhere, mm -hmm. and you know the way that look i was just talking to sam from jean du coin the other day and you know he was telling me about how um i think he's in here actually by the way uh I, he, he, yeah he was telling me that like their channel with like a hundred thousand followers uh on youtube was um was suspended because well he suspects during a live stream like they were shitting on xrp or something like that and um, someone reported it and then, and then a bunch of people reported it once, and and then their account was suspended. And there was like very little recourse. You know, thankfully they were able to recover. But this sort of thing happens all the time, like where you get a, you know, four or five people re reporting 
uh, for whatever reason, and then all of a sudden your account's suspended or even worse, deleted, and then you're like, don't have don't have access anymore. So like, it's easier to target people. And I think like the, you know, I think being able to from the from the get go or very early being able to attach different um, different accounts or different uh, signers, right? Um, is, is probably desirable. And one of those signers could be your phone. Like, I think yep. it would be pretty trivial for Apple uh, to, and, and other device manufacturers to start supporting, you know, these curves and having those signers like really just built into like those trusted execution environments that we all use to log in and do a bunch of shit. Um, I mean, that to me feels like, you know, kind of the future. And then if they already have like all the recovery and everything kind of like built into the system, I mean, I think the issue there is that it's so abstracted and, and also close source that you have little visibility into, you know, what access or what backdoors they might have. Um, I think that's the real issue. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a hard problem, man. It's really... <laughs> but, but that's the thing is, I think, you know, on Ethereum, because you need to find social consensus amongst, you know, hundreds of different dApps, hundreds of different wallets. Like, it's just so hard to push, uh, uh, like, a fundamentally different change. Whereas, you know, if you have an app chain that has an app-specific wallet, mm. uh, you can actually just do a lot of, like, crazy shit, like, at the chain level. Like, where you don't yeah, have but a who recovery wants 20 thing. wallets? Well, I mean, that's the <laughs> yeah. thing is, I think that's why... but. Assuming there's kind of this like very close knit community of people who only use that. And maybe the standard is something that other people can adopt. But like, I have this idea that like, you shouldn't block launching a revolutionary new feature just because someone else felt like they didn't want to use it. Like you push things forward and you allow anyone else to use it. Like, you know, as they wish, but you know, I, I feel like the way you kind of, move the needle is like you ship something people start using you gain traction and anyone everyone else is like can i also do that and you're like absolutely all you have to do is just like i don't know use this modified auth module on the cosmos sdk um rather than saying you know it's like the the way it's been done previously it's like these wallet developers go to the core developers let's say you know mm. cosmos sdk it's like hey we would like to change the auth module and like can we please do this and then you know, and then you have this entire RFP process, like, you know, like you have this entire process of like examining the specifications, like how does this break, you know, some other per like bespoke blockchains implementation of the auth module and things like that. Um, and then, you know, and then you have someone implemented and then you get a bunch of chains to upgrade. And then once enough chains have upgraded, you sort of push this to the wallet level. Uh, I'm basically just saying, I think the best part about Cosmos is you get to throw this entire process out the window and just be like, hey, we have, we feel like we have a new auth module that's just like way better fundamentally from like the crypto experience. Because a lot of UX issues in crypto are things that like are derived from the blockchain itself, not from the, you know, client side software, to be honest. And yeah, yeah. if you're able to sort of just like get this adopted and have a wallet that supports it, uh, that also has a decent amount of users. Um, and then, you know, you allow anyone else to also take that, you know, and, and use it for their wallet. That's kind of how you make breakthrough changes in UX rather than, you know, waiting for this, like, entire EIP process. Because that's the entire point of, like, heterogeneous blockchains, right? Like, we don't have a standard, and that's why we're so messy. But 
um, yeah. you also get to move a lot faster. But I mean, like, look, uh, I, I always like to bring it back to like this web analogy. Like, look, websites are heterogeneous. Mm -hmm. uh, they leverage the same technology. There are standards that allow us to interface with them. Um, I guess I guess where it gets messy is when websites have to talk to each other, and then you need mm -hmm. like APIs essentially, and then there's mm -hmm. a whole industry of services that allow different APIs to talk to each other, and so you're talking about things like Zapier and um, Make.com and like all this kind of no code uh, stuff. Is this where is 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 this where we're gonna head also with crypto where you know, things are heterogeneous, however standardized for common interfaces, but we're going to need some kind of interoperability layer that um, bridges the gap between the different app chains and calls, like basically, you know, blockchain calls that they support. Um. Does that overlap perfectly or, or am I missing something? I would say in like, you know, considering that like crypto is still in its infancy, um, I think there's a good chance that one standard, once something's like a new feature sort of ends up a standard by beating all the competition. Uh, so there's room for that, obviously. If there happens to be valid reasons to use, you know, pros and cons of each and there's decent amount of traction on both then you're going to end up with you know middleware that helps you bridge the gaps between the two um but yeah i, I do fundamentally think that like the crypto ecosystem is going to look more fragmented before it's standardized like way more mm. moving into the future and i think that's actually a very good thing where <clears throat> you you know, like I, I'm personally just really interested in building like thesis-driven products, even if that means like sometimes you sort of have to leave, you know, like you, you spend less time convincing people and you're just kind of like showing you an example of, hey, this is what things could be like. Um, and then, you know, once they're convinced after they're using it, I'm happy to kind of like have that conversation. Uh, but, you know, I just feel like trying to create mass adoption through trying to convince everyone to use your standard is like the worst way of getting mass adoption. You just create something that people will use. A lot of people start using it. And then because, you know, it's been proven in the market, everyone else sort of adopts that as well. And in that process, maybe some chains get, you know, preferential treatment over the others. Mm. But if, you know, that's also a good thing, right? Where you leave gaps in the market for new competitors to rise and it doesn't mean that you're always going to be right and uh you know that like iphone example when that came out people are like oh because this doesn't support flash this will you know like iphone will never take off because flash was such a major part of the web back then but it yeah. turns out that like you know even though they like uh you know they create they started off as this like very minority small you know opinion at the time they fundamentally changed how like the mobile web experience feels like today and 
Uh, you want I mean, the whole web fragment. experience. I mean, there was so exactly. much flash on the web, on the web, man. Like, it was everywhere. yeah, and you know, tell me about it. Where like you know, I use Korean websites where it's like littered with active X's and like flash, and you know, if you don't use Internet Explorer eight on your Windows eleven machine, then you can't get work done. So like, I'm still stuck in this legacy world. But fundamentally, if people demand it, they will. You know, even governments will change. Maybe just not as quickly as you know we would like them to. Uh, but I think it's the same with wallets. It's going to be the same with libraries, blockchain technologies, consensus. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be a very competitive market. And I think it's that's you want more competition and you get more competition by initially fragmenting off into highly thesis-driven products that are more specific rather than trying to fit, trying to aim for like the you know least common denominator. Like that just feels mm. like the most boring product ever. Yeah. I mean, like web standards, man, they really did propel, like, I think a lot of usage of the web. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately and it's like trying to map how, um, basically trying to like, look in, in 2007, like 15 years ago, we had flash, we had, um, we had like most websites were not using HTTPS. Mm -hmm. You know, remember 2007, like most websites did not use HTTPS. Maybe you did for uh, when you went to a payment portal or something like that, but um, but it wasn't it wasn't standard. Um, there were very few web standards, so we still had like a bunch of browsers that didn't work properly mm -hmm. or like didn't follow web standards. And what happened? Well, like. Microsoft decided, okay, we're going to adopt web standards uh, and we're going to adopt the standards of like Firefox. And well, basically Firefox was really um, um, adhering to at the time, which was the web three standards. Um, Google through its, through just sheer power decided, Hey, when you don't have an HTTPS website, we're going to throw up a big red flag. <laughs> and yeah. that forced the entire industry to move to HTTPS. And then Apple um, decided that like Flash was not as a as a closed source proprietary technology was not the technology that we should be using to to do video. Um, and then beyond that, there's like tons of other user experience issues that were solved. I think through some form of standardization, there's still proprietary stuff. Like mm -hmm. you know when you when you like copy something on your phone and your iPhone and you, like you paste it on your computer, that's not using open standards. That's using proprietary technology. And it would be great if all these things were open standardized. You know, you can't do that with like a, a Mac and an Android device without mm -hmm. using some piece of software. Um, but like open standards did a lot. I think to, and, and, and in that time frame, like we doubled the amount of people on the internet. Like 30% 30, 30 of the world was on the internet in 2007. And I mean, still on 60% now, but like 60% of the world are on the internet now. So I, you know, I think standardization did do a lot to uh, to to help grow use of the web, um, and it's a lot less fragmented. I, I I feel like it's a lot less fragmented now than it was uh, back then. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, for every case, there was you know a big company that got a new thing to be a standard through the sheer force of, you know, 
the amount of user money, you know, power that they had, there was a lot of cases where that also failed, right? So like fundamentally, I think what becomes a standard also sort of relies on it's like, yeah, you can sort of kind of nudge things in the right direction using money, using your, you know, product, using your user base, I don't know, like integration amongst your ecosystem. But at the same time, if you know, if people feel like it's a shitty, it does a shitty job, like I feel like people won't use it and, and there will be another competing standard waiting to kind of take that place, right? And yeah. uh, maybe sometimes that's a, an open thing where it's not controlled by one company. Uh, and, and I think that actually reflects more of like the crypto experience because there's less of like patents and, um, you know, portability of anything between one blockchain, you know, like between a, two wallets. It's like way lighter than, you know, like I can't go from YouTube music to Spotify. Whereas like, you know, if I don't like this wallet, I can move to a new wallet. And, you know, if this wallet happens to do a better job of what I tend to use the crypt, like blockchain wallets for, then like, yeah, this, I think that's actually absolutely how the crypto, you know, standardization happens through like massive competition and just like people going for niche markets and, and pushing barriers for what, you know, at the time could be unpopular, but, you know, if it's unpopular and bad, then you lose. If it's unpopular and you're, you know, and it's good, then you win, right? Yeah. I love that part about crypto. It's just completely open. Anyone's up for grabs. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, well, well, portability is, I think, like a a great thing. Like, it's great that we have that. And, um, and to me, it feels a lot like how email is portable, you know, Mm -hmm. if you, if you, you you know, if you want to really move your email box from like one to another, you, you can like it. The SMTP will allow you to do that yeah. using using a client. Like you can, I've done that a few times and still works. Um, that's not the case with messaging apps though. Like messaging apps did not adopt any standards. And uh, like Ben Thompson talks about this and he talks about how, you know, there could have been a standard. Like, like if you look at, if you look at email, well, email uses a, a, SMTP as a standard. Email clients and email providers have built all this added feature sets on top of it but fundamentally it still uses the standard you can always just go back to the standard messaging apps could have used like sms or whatever as a as a fallback standard and then build all kinds of functionality on top of it so you could have you know had like encrypted messages through sms or whatever but still fundamentally use like an open standard but they didn't and you could like it's it's interesting to see how like two of the main communications uh uh mediums that we have today went like two very different routes in terms of standardization. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. SMS is a great example of, you know, like rather than spending time to, you know, like, I mean, there were attempts to upgrade like the SMS for phones for such a long time, but like all the stakeholders, like the telecom companies, like the network, you know, equipment manufacturers, the phone manufacturer, like all had different interests. So like, you know, some messenger company basically just like in, in Korea, we, everyone uses Kapao. And, you know, I feel like the reason why it took off was because it had cute emojis that you couldn't send over SMS. <laughs> and, you know, people used to charge you for per, on a per message basis, whereas messengers didn't. Yeah. And they built yeah. a mode around that. Right. And it's like, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that they couldn't, you know, it's like, they, they don't open source, they don't open, you know, portability, but like that's, you know, not in their interest. So it's like, it's a very like prisoner's dilemma thing where like, 
you know, if everyone sort of agrees to each other in this ideal world, obviously we just love if SMS was like messaging was just way better. But um, at the same time, like, could you imagine like using SMS for like five more years? Like, you know, no emojis for 10 years because people mm. couldn't come to consensus on what the right standard is. And like, um, you know, and then you're going to get this like tick and talk of like standardization and then completely proprietary and then some shit blows up and people start kind of moving off into this like all right let's create a standard around this and then so you know it's always a balancing act i think hmm. yeah this this is really interesting I, i'm really enjoying this conversation i think like i think that uh examining how technologies evolve and like looking back on it, it it's always it always just seems very obvious and like for me for crypto like the obviously the the story is still being written. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation again in 10 years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, let's, let's put that in our calendars. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, in terms of what people are building right now, I, I, I feel like we're at a point right now where we're going into, obviously like there, there is a bear market um, right now that will probably last for some time may get worse we're not going to speculate on you know market cap uh, or prices here but uh <laughs> i think it's safe to say that uh we're going into a winter and you know typically in the past when we've gone through these winters and this this will be my, my third one uh, we've uh we've you know focused on building infrastructure and uh and building tooling um do you think that this is what uh will happen over the next you know months and years do you think that there will be a big push towards infrastructure and tooling and um uh, or you know what what is your what is your feeling about like what people will be you know, are going to be building now for the foreseeable future um i think people will still build more applications than infrastructure and tooling um just because uh well let me take that back actually i think i i guess i i have no clue in the last cycle, I guess a lot of people built infra and tooling. Uh, also, just extremely hard to monetize those things, I feel like, yeah. uh, other than crazy high valuations in the bull market or yeah. very good macro cycle. Um, not sure what that looks like for, for this part. Uh, that being said, you know, like I feel like what kicked off like that last bull market was basically like, yeah. And like you know, like DeFi summer, and like yeah, you know, like it wasn't these like infrastructure and tooling companies and teams that like kicked off like the bull cycle. Like obviously, there were a lot of things that had to go right with the macro economy and everything. You know, like COVID stimulus money, whatever. But at the same time, it was like Yam and like synthetics and DJ Spartan shilling all his you know Thorchain stuff. And like, there's a lot of things. You know, fundamentally, it's applications that get people excited. And I always have this in the back of my mind where like, you know, um, wallets only succeed if there are compelling applications. So um, I'd love to see more of that. I think, you know, maybe I'm a little bit biased here, but, you know, I'm hoping to kind of build some of these compelling applications on osmosis, uh, mostly because it's where I get to, you know, have the most fun building and have a lot of opinions on them the directionality and um yeah get to ship the fastest hmm. what are you most excited about right now 
just I am cosmos, osmosis, or just like generally in life. <laughs> I am currently extremely excited about you know how wallets evolve into more of this like identity layer for the blockchain, mm-hmm. uh, reputation layer. Uh, traditionally, you know, everyone's been focused on DIDs in the context of how do we store government, you know, credential information so you can use it on the blockchain. But like, I, I feel like no one has kind of thought enough about like, hey, can pseudonymous like identities have reputation and credibility? And I, I would say absolutely yes. And can you do that on a purely on-chain data? And traditionally, I think I was I would have said no, but you know, we're increasingly moving to a world where that's starting to become a yes because people are using blockchains more and more today. And um, yeah, I think wallets that leverage this part uh, will be interesting. Um, and there are many interactions on the blockchains where it would be 10x the fun if there was a social element. I don't think building a social graph from the bottom up, like, like hey, let's create a new Twitter, you know, from the bottom up, like, on the blockchain, I, I you know, I, I, I find value in the things that, you know, people who are doing that. But for me, it's just like, hey, what if staking meets, you know, like troll boxes or, you know, token gated groups based on delegations or you have avatars that, you know, you with items that you earn based on what you did a year ago or, you know. So I, I think there's a lot of kind of like, small fun element like there's a lot of room for fun in crypto and i think that fundamentally relies on the identity and the social part um i'm not an engineer i'm not a mathematician so i don't get really excited about new capital efficient curve models and you know DeFi models but i feel like you know you could basically create the exact you could 10x the usage of crypto by having you know zero improvements in all that we've built by just yeah. leveraging more of the social and the, and the fun parts. Yeah. Make crypto fun again. It's a good note to yeah. end on, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so last question, who should come on this podcast next? That's a great question. I need to figure out who hasn't been on here. <laughs> who would, you, who would oh. you love to see? I mean, I'll tell you if they've been on before, but. Uh, I'd love to see Sasha from Haifa on okay. here. I think, yeah, I think he has a very interesting take on kind of community, social graphs, governance, and, and things okay. like that. Uh, I don't know. I, I always end up liking his tweets a lot and feel like there's a lot of things that I relate to in the way that he says it. And I'd love to see that. So, yeah, maybe. All right. Might, uh, that's a good that that's a good recommendation. Uh, I like that a lot. Yeah, and he's also got a bad kid, so you know. Makes, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, uh, Josh, thanks. This has been great. Really, really yeah. glad we had you on. And uh, interesting, uh, interesting. To get your thoughts. And yeah, let's let's do it again in ten years, and then we can let's make a bet. Let's make a bet on yeah, standards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thanks. Take care. And to our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. We do live streams every Thursday. Uh, make sure to subscribe, hit the notification bell and the like button to yeah get notified when I go live every week. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Seth 3.0. And I look forward to seeing you again next week.